So this uh, title of this uh, Dharma talk is uh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Body hurts. Body, your body, nerve endings hurts. The mind suffers. Big difference. Little difference. Little tiny difference, but really a big difference. The body, the nerve endings, all of them. Uh, sometimes it's just a uh, um, just a feather across your hand or across your or a massage or something feels pretty good. Uh, nerve endings, uh, same nerve endings. The difference between uh, pain and pleasure is same nerve ending receives pleasure also receives pain. Interesting area to work with your awareness, stre uh, strengthening the, your awareness by doing sitting practice of meditation, sit down, sit in a very symmetrical posture, not rigid, but upright, and just observe. And use a wall so that your eyes are open and receive. Not much, to, not much happening there. It doesn't need to be entertaining, particularly. And feel. Receive, touch, how this feels, how the body feels, how the clothes feel, uh, how the wall looks, how the sound of the, the blower in the building is, how people talking in the hallway, this voice and the spaces between the words and this voice and whether this goes up in tone or down. Just observe, just receive. Don't add anything to it. No comment. And the pra practice of uh, not adding any comment might involve witnessing yourself uh, continually commenting on everything. I like it. I don't like it. It's good. That shouldn't be happening. He shouldn't be saying that. Uh, if he said that again, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. <sighs> Tiring. But you can't fight with it because if you do, then it doubles up and it comes back heavier in another, another direction or it goes under the surface and shows up three weeks from today as a pain in the neck. Literally. Body pain Nerve endings, so it's going to hurt. Something's going to hurt. Sometimes just uh, seeing something is so difficult, so ugly, so unorganized, so chaotic that just looking at something. Sometimes something is very beautiful, very organized, very balanced, very lovely, very sweet, very magnetizing. And we're drawn to that because we, we like that. We like seeing that organization. It might be another person who is beautiful. Uh, it might be a, a painting. It might be a piece of music. It could be a piece of music that's horrible to you and it's wonderful to someone else, the person who created it. So all those things are variable. They are dependently arisen. There's not a solid being anywhere. If you think there is, you're going to suffer. And I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm not condemning you to anything. You'll do plenty of that yourself by criticizing yourself. The criticism of yourself can show up as trying to improve or trying to get better. But it also quite often shows up as just wanting to strengthen the ego, even, even if it's a negativity. We'd rather feel like crap and accuse ourselves and shame ourselves just so we can continue to be somebody who at least is having a feeling. Good luck with that. So the body is nerve endings. It's painful. It can be very, very painful, as we know. However, the consciousness, the mind, that aspect of our a whole uh, sensorium, our whole matrix of being a human being, the consciousness, that part of the mind that is calculating, analyzing, distributing, 
differentiating that prejudiced area of the mind that wants this but doesn't want that, wants this but doesn't want that, doesn't want this anymore, no, it wants that. And then there's all the commentary in between. It's interesting. I used to really, now I don't, you know, we just ramble and ramble and ramble. We can't hardly stand to do what? If you want to know what your life is about, what your purpose is about, what do you think all you have all these nerve endings for? Receive. Receive everything. Sense of touch, sense of taste, sense of smell, sense of hearing, sense of thinking, sense of feeling. Just receive, please. The most profound form of generosity is to give everything your attention. If you can do that, I will like you a lot. Not that I would dislike you. Excuse me. It's just a way of doing it. It doesn't mean that this is right and everybody else is wrong. What this old man is saying is somehow really good and you should do what I say. No, you should do whatever you want to do. But if you're in this room, you're in a, by, just by being here, you're giving me per permission to talk. This is not a TED talk. And my name is not TED. So the suffering part is, or the pain part is, uh, you got to come. And if you're born, then that's going to happen. As we all know, the coming into the world is pretty painful for everybody involved. Even the husband has some pain there, you guys. <laughs> so, and then going out, of course, can be difficult too. It also could be fantastic. And coming in, probably going to be difficult. But if you understand who this, who you are, what this is, uh, you can leave here with no issue. You're going to leave. I'm going to leave probably sooner than you guys. But it's hard to know for sure. We're all going out of here one way or another. This body-mind complex that we think we are is going back into the elements from whence it came. Is that whence? Is that a word? Comes from good king Wenceslas? <laughs> Isn't that where that comes from? I know, stupid humor. So uh, to differentiate between those two, to, to see that, that there is, uh, that we that receive, give it your attention, receive the pain. Receive the, the body pain. And when the, the suffering part comes up, that's a kind of extra. That is uh, the commentary on uh, the self-centeredness, the imputation, the belief that there is somebody who can avoid or somebody who can get away or somebody who can blame or justify or accuse or someone who can manipulate things in such a way that we can somehow get out of uh, uh, what is coming towards our nerve endings, no matter which one of the six sense fields is being approached. This is a good one. Where's your coffee cup? Where's your coffee cup? <laughs> oh, okay. I see. So differentiating between uh, the pain part, which you've got coming if you're a human being, it's going to be pain. Life is suffering. The Buddha said life is suffering. And he didn't say part-time a little bit. And uh, you might say, people have said down through the centuries, well, Buddhism is nihilistic. No, uh, the person who said that is uh, uh, ignorant because they jumped to a conclusion about something they haven't even investigated. They just listened to a few things. Well, that's nihilism. That's the difficulty with coming to a conclusion, a conclusion about anything is it comes out of the, the desire to be right, the desire to have control, the desire to have a say-so about things extra but life is suffering life is difficult it's just the truth yeah anyone in this room and people who aren't in this room are having some kind of difficulty 
have the pain, which comes from being a living being, but then we have the suffering, which comes from fretting about it or wishing it were otherwise or wanting something else, wanting something else. That doesn't mean you have to want this. It's a misunderstanding. You'll never hear me say, but just accept it. Just don't hear that from this person. What I will say is don't do anything about it. Just receive it. Whatever's happening, receive. Most profound form of generosity is to receive what is coming your way because just uh, you have it coming. Wendy? Is there a way to sit with pain but without suffering? Um, it would be different with each person, but uh, I would say uh, you're talking about sitting meditation. Okay, you're sitting and say something starts to hurt in your body, move. I don't teach this the way they did in ancient Japan. Just for a long time, and I've sat and tried to just muscle through and uh, actually hurt myself. So I had to sit in a chair for four years, back and from 1980 to 1983. So give yourself a break. Something starts to hurt, stand up. But then as soon as you stand up, immediately hold still again. And if that starts to hurt, then sit back down. That starts to hurt, then move again. So always, always pay attention to the body. Anytime it hurts, don't, don't continue that. Maybe a little bit, maybe for, what, 30 seconds or something to see if that's actually, if you're trying to get out of sitting there or if it's actually some kind of pain. That should be respected. And you can, you can go as long as there's some time. I'll show you. That's enough. You sit still for half a minute. And then if, but pay attention to the body. If the body is saying you need to get up, you need to walk, do that. Go look out the window. Go get a, uh, go have a snack have a sandwich or something but then return to return come back strike a bell hold still just receive just observe your knee starts to hurt and move hold still again just observe just receive and continue to take that approach respect respect your body how your body feels don't don't necessarily go against what the body is telling you. Everyone's body is different. And there's the causes and conditions that arise uh, that have to do with your body, including your, your mother and your father, all of the things that come that have to come together in order to produce this moment uh, should be respected. This is called, uh, the fancy word is pratikya samudpada or dependent origination. The basic, the basic discovery of the Buddha uh, probably it was discovered by others, but they didn't know, uh, weren't in the position to say anything about it. He said that everything is dependent on everything else for its apparent singularity or identity. You can't find one thing anywhere that isn't dependent on everything else on some way. And, and the, the, tra the, the trajectory or pathway between this piece of wood and the tree that it came out of, this piece of, looks like leather, and the animal, whatever's left of it, those kind of came together. And then there's glue inside of there holding that together. And then someone turned the end of this on a lathe or something to make it round. So, I mean, I, I could take anything and just trace it back. You can do that with your mind. Good luck. You should start. You won't get a lot of success stories out of it. You won't get a lot of results out of it. This is very important. I say this over and over. I'm going to say it again. It is not about getting information. It is about awareness. 
So it's always about, like I tell people who uh, study the Dharma and people are studying something like uh, Jeffrey Hopkins' Meditation on Emptiness, which is an extremely difficult technical book. And I don't understand. It's not about understanding. I can help you. I can let you off the hook right away. It is about studying it. If you're meant to understand, if you're supposed to understand it, the causes and conditions that are arising is your particular person, your your individuality, your intelligence, your ability to conceptualize or whatever. Uh, you should respect that. Don't argue with uh, what came into existence that where someone, your mom and dad gave you a name so many years ago and you think you are somebody. It's a misunderstanding. There isn't anybody. There's hardly even this. You can liberate yourself from this before your body dies, before you go back into the elements. You can do this. How do you do this? Just observe. Whatever is rising, do nothing with it. Don't add, don't subtract, don't divide, don't judge. And, and what does that feel like? It feels like being aware of how much you keep judging everything. Keep giving ourselves a hard time. Give other people a hard time. Because somehow that validates that invisible area of the consciousness in the, in the Yogacara tradition called the seventh consciousness or the klesha mind, or the confused mind, the paranoid mind, the mind that thinks something's up and we need to protect ourselves. If you're lost in that kind of circularity, uh, this practice may not help you out of it, but you should do it anyway, if you're listening to me, yes. Um, when the mind suffers, that we um, close off a part of ourselves to protect the rest of it. So when we're just receiving, how do we receive the parts of us that we've closed off? If you're in this room, I'm not saying there are other people that this is not going to happen for them. There are people that are not ready for this. It's not. That's why in, uh, most, uh, not all of them maybe, but most Buddhist teachers don't promote what they're doing, don't advertise it or promise anything. Because everyone is, uh, everyone's confusion needs to be respected. And so I would say just, just do your best. And how that shows up for you, there's nothing to correct, nothing to Say, oh, no, you shouldn't have done that. You should be doing this. That's not working. You shouldn't you know, try this, try that. So you can ask me more about that. Well, for me, it seems like um, what I do see seems to be really circular, but I can't. I see the circles, but I don't see the thing that they're arising out of. You don't need to. Just like, look at the circles. The, the, the feeling of confusion is awakening. The Buddha did not awaken to a really smart person who knew everything and thought, what was I thinking? I was fighting with everything. No, what the Buddha awoke to was suffering, intense suffering of himself and humanity. His awakening was seeing suffering. More. Um, through you, how you see things, is there a point in which that which I've separated off finally comes back? No guarantee. There's no guarantee. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't take your awakening away from you by giving you a bunch of stupid information about it. You need to awaken. You need to awaken. You need to awaken. If you want to wake up, then how do you do that? Sit down and look at who you are and don't give up more. That separation that when I separate myself is that is that ignorance? If you're if you're watching it the way you're talking about, it, I would say no. I would say it's awareness. Right and wrong is a is a correct and incorrect, or the right thing or the wrong thing. This is a this is an intense seduction that that ego feeds on right and wrong, and we the whole world is feeding on that. As you know, watch the news. 
and it's not that there isn't something that is less harmful and something that's more harmful. It's the confusion around that. The politics of experience are very, very uh, sticky. It's like Velcro. Everything's made of Velcro. Go ahead. So what do you do when you're looking at something and you can't see it? You're aware that you can't see it and you're seeing something. Look, go ahead. So here, here's the, I'm following you. Here's the issue. <laughs> Please ask me questions about this because I don't know how else to say it other than this. But if you ask me questions uh, about it, then that tells me how you're perceiving what I'm saying. And I might be able to help you go uh, three or four centimeters down into that. But there isn't anything else. The belief or the feeling that there's something other than this, other than you, other than this, other than the building, other than the clouds, other than the sky, other than anything, that there's something else. You're always looking at yourself and, and not like a, you're see, seeing in a mirror where you, you, you look at the wall and it, it's kind of like it looks like you, but not exactly. It just doesn't look separate. If questions about that, I'd be happy to address them. Go ahead. When you say you wake up, what does that mean? Did I say that? Well, you said wake up. I did. Awaken. What is that? Stop sleeping. What's sleeping? What you're doing right now. What's awake? Uh, you don't see anything else. You don't. You really don't see. You see. Uh, you see separation, but it doesn't. Uh, it's like the example I often use is. The fingers are extremely separate, separate, very discreet. The little fingers never confuse. Never you ever thought, is this my thumb or is this my little finger? Hmm. I'll draw a picture of it and I'll send it off to what was her name back in the fifties? Ann Landers. Yeah, maybe she'll know. So it'll be a silly idea, but it's but this is not a bundle of fingers. This is a hand. It's one thing, but yet it is made up of separate things. And you, you need to see the separations and see that this, I'm not saying it's all one. You say it's all one, that means you've concluded something before you've understood it. And people, the ego mind wants to conclude. That's what Nietzsche did. That's what uh, Hegel did. That's what Kierkegaard did. That's what people, artists do it all the time. They're very proud of their production. So in the context of working with others, um, that thing that um, I'm hiding out, I can see it more clearly in others, um, especially with children, when you get close, there's a strong official way. So when you're um, trying to be with others and there is that push away, um, what's our responsibility? What's my responsibility? Just just observe that. Some of it depends on who it is and what the whole dynamic is and what your relationship is. A big difference between someone that in your, uh, your uh, pathways or your child care situation might be a lot different and different with each one as to, opposed to a parent or, or to a shagets or someone else or to me or anyone else. So it might vary. So receive as much as you can and add on or interpret or uh, um, identify uh, if you, as little as possible. But if you do identify, try to see the intention behind that. Is it the intention to be right or protect yourself? Or to make sure that you don't get too close to something you don't understand at all. More. I'm. That's the thing that's showing up. Is the thing that I'm looking at is a more of a movement away. It's uh, like you're too close, and it, and then I get carried away in that thought. What's the question? So the thought is, um, or the question is, how do I stay with 
that push away without being carried away. You don't have to stay. Notice that you leave. Notice that you get carried away. It's always about awareness. It's never about staying with anything. Uh, That's uh, the uh, same thing with the sitting meditation. Sit there and notice how you can't stay there anymore. Don't muscle your way through it. Get up and leave. But be aware of the intention. It's about awareness. It's not about accomplishing anything. Um, it's misunderstood everywhere, especially in the Zen tradition, or in macho Japanese culture. If we're receiving, is it what is giving? For the receiving part is the path. So there's ground, path, and fruition. This is threefold logic that I learned from my teacher, Chogyam Rinpoche. <coughs> Rinpoche. Uh, the ground is suffering. And you can do this with any situation. The ground is suffering. The path is seeing the suffering. And uh, fruition is uh, uh, neuroda or the uh, cessation. And it isn't actually a cessation of suffering because the world is still suffering as you, but you've come to the end of your uh, path, which is uh, liberation. And there's no one there. There's no one suffering. There is no solid being anywhere. <laughs> Good luck. Don't give up. Further about that? What is the difference between emotional pain and physical pain? Mm, the physical pain is the nerve endings all over the place. So, and, uh, and the emotional pain is a, a imputation of uh, somebody who's trying to get away from things. Could be physical pain, could be almost anything. Could be some kind of threat that you as an individual are threatened or you're not doing so good or you might do that to yourself. It's, it's basically the belief and the feeling and that there is a solid being that needs protecting that's in danger. And we come to this, uh, there's lots of uh, causes and conditions that bring that about. Just uh, two million years ago, running from uh, saber-toothed tigers probably had something to do with it. Here we are again. The causes and conditions that arose as any any person here, if you I'm not asking you to subscribe to past lives, but you're not separate from people who lived a million years ago. Without them, you wouldn't be here. Dependent origination, causes and conditions. So it's just it's just uh, um, it's very, it's the same thing, but it's differentiated. Just like there's a differentiation between the little finger and the thumb. You can't hitchhike with this. You're saying to um, move if we're in physical pain and to stay and continue to look if we're in emotional pain. Not necessarily. Well, if you, if you have the intention, the way I've been teaching it lately uh, with the block sitting is sit down. Uh, sit, you're going to sit for four hours. Sit down. Strike, strike the gong or the bell or the water glass. You know, even this works. Start. Always start with the sound. Don't start with the smell. It's harder. And sit there and watch what's moving. And if, uh, if you begin to have uh, emotional pain, then you just look at it. And if you can receive it, good. If you're receiving it, you might notice the way you're objecting to it. It's always about the awareness, not about accomplishing it. So if you need to get up, even though you're physically okay, but you just need to go look out the window for a few minutes, do it. There's nothing to accomplish, but there is something to see. And what, what is it we're uh, endeavoring to see? <sighs> our paranoia and, the, and our wish to keep separating ourselves from things that seem uh, difficult or dangerous. So look out the window 
and it's not I don't I wouldn't call it taking a taking a break it's just a working with your consciousness or your awareness in a way that you begin to understand more and more how this whole complex of body speech mind uh, thinking process how, how that works and you might find that if you approach it that way you might sit there a lot for a lot longer periods and then four uh, four hours later even though if you've spent an hour out in the kitchen uh, you know, eating a sandwich or something or maybe going out in the yard or talking to a neighbor or something but then at the end of that time come back and and that. So you're always setting up that form. It's just a way of doing it. It's not the right way or something. It's just a way of working with. So you can continue to emphasize the awareness part of your uh, practice. This is quite often why we sit in groups, because if you're sitting, I'm sure you've noticed if you're sitting and there's people sitting on either side of you, you can stay there longer. And of course, the idea is to, to do it for a while. But each person has to respect, uh, should respect their own feelings and their how their body feels and like hurts, move it. And then as soon as that pain goes away, move back, hold still. More. Um, as we sit, do we have a greater capacity to stay with what arises? I think it's more instead of staying, like with the intention to stay so much, it's more that if the, bo the body mind are not two different things. They're just separated, just like the fingers. So by sitting down and taking that aspect of your, uh, of your life that you do have some say-so about, the body, when I can move my hand here, I can move my other hand there, but I can't just be happy. I can't just stop being angry. Um, although if, if you practice enough, eventually you have access to all of those emotions that you thought belong, you thought were uh, impulsive and belonged to an identity. When the identity is gone, then you're liberated. And what are you liberated from? Separation. You're no longer separate from anything. You're no longer threatened by anything. You no longer threaten anything unless you're a teacher. And then if somebody gives you permission, you might kick their ass with their permission. Please kick my ass. Certainly. Turn around and bend over. You know what I'm talking about. And that's meant to help people, not to hurt anybody or to, of course, you forgot what you were going to ask me. What? Oh, awake and asleep? So? Can you be awake and asleep at the same time? There's no, there's no other way to do it. You have to be awake and asleep. There isn't anyone. Yes. Something about people I do. And then that concept of separating, not separate. Is there something to be, something of value in finding out who we are, whether we're a thumb or a little finger? It'll come and go. You'll find that you're not concerned about identity anymore. You're not even concerned about whether you're awake or not. You're not concerned about any kind of state of mind. Every state of mind is the Buddha. Even the intense suffering is not separate from the Buddha. This is what the Buddha saw when he awoke. And I wasn't there, but I also wasn't uh, any more not there than you were not there. Not separate. But the Buddha awoke to the suffering of the world and himself. And he didn't miss one shred of it anywhere. He saw it just by looking at what was in front of him. This is possible for anyone to do. If you're listening to me, then you're probably ready to hear this. Regarding the Buddha or a awakened person or even a person that's moving in that direction, um, when you really see the suffering of the world, uh, how how does that register within a person that's waking up? 
It will come through uh, the filter of the personality that came into this uh, world with defendant origination of your mother, your father, your particular style, your heredity, your genes, however you want it'll, it'll come through that, but it won't be stopped by a personality that's grasping at one thing and rejecting something else. It's called liberation. And what is it liberated from? It's liberated from the, the idea that there is someone or that there's someone or there's something else. It's like realizing you're a lemming. You're all a lemmings all at once. But, uh, Not exactly. That's a little bit fluffy. Yes. How, how uh, what, what does that actually feel like seeing such suffering in the world? Painful. But there's no one in pain. The, 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 the Bodhisattva tradition that's taught in the Mahayana, in Mahayana Buddhism is that you receive the suffering of others. You receive that. But they're apparent others. You also see there's no one suffering. But the ones who are suffering don't see that. So therefore, you, uh, if you're functioning in that way, then you would help them with their permission. But you, but you don't convert anybody without their permission. Or you don't get somebody to do something they're not ready to do. <clears throat> and they might tell you they're ready to do it. And then um, three days later or three weeks later, three or so, um, or they might not say anything. It might just stop doing that. You have to be very, very respectful of people's confusion if you're going to help them liberate themselves. You can't arm wrestle with something that somebody's already struggling with. Be respectful. I learned that from both of my teachers, especially the first one. Meet people where they're at. Not easy to do that, especially when you see someone is creating their own turmoil and they're just not ready to not ready to hear about it yet. Gary? How does intelligence align with awakening? The reason I ask it seems like people who are awake are very intelligent people. How many people you know are awake? It seems like the teachers who are awake are able to process a lot of information. I know, I know you say it's not about information, but it seems like there's quite an intelligence. Okay, what's, what's the question? I, 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 how, how does intelligence, this, how does intelligence relate to awake? So how, how are you defining intelligence? Being able to process a lot of information. No, some people are very good at processing a lot of information, and some people are not. So and the people who are able to do that are generally have PhDs and or I'm not, not mocking anybody. I'm just saying people, some people are very good at handling content, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're awake. I don't have a degree in anything. I spent my time doing what I'm teaching you, mainly. I started in school and saw that was going to be a waste of time because I would just get a credential. I wouldn't really learn what, what it was I was trying to understand. That was just my stubborn way of doing it. What's your basic question? I'm... I'm I sense what it is, but I want you to say it. Are people who are highly intelligent more apt to see what this is? No. If that were the case, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, that has something to do with it, of course. And the ones who do have some clarity, some people are extremely scholarly. And uh, whether they're awake or not, I have no idea. But they're very good at processing and using and teaching this information. But I'm not one of them. I often say, so people won't get just confused. I'm not a scholar at all. You might say, well, it's obvious. But I don't, I don't have a, a way of doing that. In a you know, teaching, uh, I just don't have a way of doing that. 
You had said that the Buddha awoke to suffering. Yes. Where does cessation of suffering fit into? Yeah. So the, you know, the, the Buddha kind of fibbed a little bit there. But he was trying to help people. So he used this provisional teaching. Provisional. So he's trying to help people where they're at. So he said, uh, life is suffering. The cause is desire. The goal is cessation. And the path is train your mind, basically. Uh, but what ends is not, uh, nothing actually ends. It just We just see it differently. Um, uh, suffering really doesn't come to an end so much. Uh, initially, it can for, in the Theravadan tradition, it's called, uh, um, or another way of talking about it is called, uh, um, not going to come back to me. I told you I wasn't very scholarly. <laughs> um, seeing through oneself, seeing that there is not a solid being here, uh, but the suffering uh, still may come and go. It just doesn't happen to anyone. So, so the, the person that's experiencing the difficulty uh, doesn't make it worse. Uh, by trying to get rid of it or trying to get out of it because there isn't anybody. So they're not too concerned whether they're suffering or not. They're just feelings and emotions and things are coming and going, coming and going. So, but what, what comes to an end, even in the Hinayana path or the, the, the little vehicle, uh, which is just everyone has to go through the beginning of the whole thing. You're, the first thing you start to see is there isn't anyone, there isn't a solid being here. You can, one of the ways it'll show up is to notice how every day you feel different. So, but what we, what we impute is that there's someone who feels different every day. But if you practice enough, eventually you see that the very identity uh, is actually different every day. Depend, uh, because it is dependently arisen. It's, it's dependent on causes and conditions. It's, it's pretty obvious. So then uh, we, see, uh, uh, we see that the whole the world is suffering. And we may be uh, feeling the suffering, but it doesn't happen to a solid person anymore. So therefore, there's no threat anymore. And the suffering is uh, much different than it was when there was somebody trying to get rid of it or somebody trying to stop it or somebody blaming somebody for why this is happening. Why blaming it? Not that the causes and conditions weren't there, not that you weren't mistreated by your parents or your or neighbors or somebody at some point. Of course, the causes and conditions, but it's definitely arisen. So nobody really gets blamed for being a part of this huge uh, uh, set of Legos. More about that? Well, it just seems like that's one of the fundamental normal truths that there's cessation of suffering. There is. That's a provisional teaching, but I'm I'm not I'm don't teaching. Don't try to connect that with what you're. Don't don't try to connect anything. Not a good idea. Don't try to connect it. So it's a it's a provisional teaching. In other words, the Buddha had to start somewhere, and he started with all these thirteen year old kids that were that he that their parents dumped all these kids on the Buddha and said, "Go study with the Buddha." He'll train you know, thousands of students he had. So he had to teach in a certain way. He taught, he, he taught at the beginning. He taught it in the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Those are provisional teachings. Those are beginning teachings. And so I'm teaching uh, uh, to whomever I meet, and you're ready to go beyond that. Not a compliment. I'm just saying that you got that. Life is suffering. So, But is there someone suffering? Is there a solid being called Doug or called Sokazan. So is I mean, there's something there, but is it a, is it a being, is it a solid identity that can be harmed or helped? Find out. How do you do that? Sit down, look at it, look at that, at that 
constant wanting to be something, wanting not to do that, but wanting to do something else. The identity is the one that's, uh, it's, it's a case of mistaken identity, simply put. How does that identity relate? You say it's different every day. Does it mirror the situation that we're describing? You say you're, you're, you don't have a solid identity that changes every day. Yeah, yours does too. But you think there's somebody feeling different every day instead of there's a different identity, different aspect of, uh, of the, the thing we call me. And if it gets really intense, then we have a schizophrenia and psychosis and an absolute terror still with an identity trying to find itself which can actually become criminal, to use a relative term. But to someone who's, who's liberated, they don't care how they feel. I'm not saying they don't feel it, but they're, they're no longer objecting to this and agreeing to that. Objecting and agreeing is the very nature of suffering. Wendy? Um, can someone with impaired higher cognitive function like Alzheimer's dementia? I think it's pretty compromised in that area, just like uh, if you don't have eyes, you can't see anything. But, but the, the nature of vision is still there. Just like if I say, uh, remember the sound of, a, of this bell. You just heard it. Everybody can kind of remember that. There's some aspect of hearing that's still there. Nature of uh, hearing is, uh, isn't, it's conditional, but it's not exactly conditioned in the same way that this particular hearing. Now remember that. Did you forget to do this part? Now remember what I'm thinking right now. Anybody able to do that? <laughs> I need all the help I can get. Rasheen. What is compromised? What is compromised where? In that situation, you said it's compromised. When someone is, uh, is handicapped, uh, using a conventional, is that what you were talking about? Someone who is? Yeah, more even aging us, where we start to so it's so uh, it's dependent origination. It's a the fancy word is pratija samutpada. Everything you, it looks like one thing. That sound, this word, this gesture, this person. It, there's no solid being anywhere. It just looks like it's an illusion. There's no solid being. There's nerve endings, but they, they but and they're hooked into a certain kind of organism. But there's no solid being. There's no. Uh, positionality there. There's there's a positionality that has dependently arisen. This this old man sitting here, but this uh, but uh, this. Uh, if you understand this, uh, there's no death. What, what is real can't die because it's never been born. It's never come into existence. The body comes in. The body's going out. These bodies come in. These bodies have been 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 doing this for millions and millions of years, which is an understatement. Go ahead. Oh, if that's an illusion, then what? How can it become that? What is in terms of someone being having a handicap or something, I'm not sure if I'm tracking you. You don't you, you don't realize it, so you're you're at the mercy of your your uh, your uh, ignorance. The, your Buddha nature is compromised, and Buddha nature is, you know, it depends on how you look at this. You can look at that as that some kind of uh, eternalism, is there some kind of spirit, or is there some kind of soul? You know, there's you, you can get into all kinds of uh, philosophical discussions with people, Buddhists in particular. They all have different ideas about this, but the Buddha didn't. More. Oh, Susan has a question. Who's he? Okay, shoot. How do we relate to stillness when we feel a pull to move, but it isn't because of pain? Yeah, that's pain. 
it's just a different quality, a different, uh, just a different quality. Just continue to look at it. And, and of course, move. <clears throat> don't, don't hold anything in place. Holding something in place is not discipline. I know I was in the Marine Corps. I know what, I know what that kind of discipline is about. And it's about control. You don't need to control anything. So you may have to, in that situation that Chazan's talking about, you, uh, there's different kind, different levels, different qualities, different vibrations, different textures, different frequencies of, of, uh, of anxiety. Uh, and some of them are, are just, you just need to do something else. Pay attention to how you feel. Don't, fight, don't try to fight with how, how whatever is arising to be something else or to get control. You don't need c- control of something that is... Uh, that is uh, um, that is really the underlying motivation of the self-centeredness, the ego to want to control and be in control. You don't need it. If you want to control something, um, hold your breath. It won't last long. <laughs> did you ever do that when you're? Are there any little kids in here? No. When you're a little, did you ever hold your breath? See how long you could hold your breath, and then you pass out. <laughs> dreams. Don't do that. I'm not recommending that. I just was very curious about that. Probably lucky to be here or unlucky. Further questions? Yes. You said life is suffering and the cause is wanting things to be different than they are. That was so, the Buddha said that, yeah. Sometimes we come to the path wanting things to be different than they are. And then path is meditation. So how, how can that make it worse? Meditation. Yeah, because we want we come to this wanting things to be different than we are, and then we practice meditation. So yes, you might. I'm not sure I'm addressing what you're asking, but you know, meditation actually starts to uncover anything you've been hiding out from. Uh, like if you, if you can't quite get control of something, sometimes there's a way of just kind of covering it up and ignoring, distracting yourself into something else, uh, getting a hobby that keeps you from feeling bad. And you do that, or having friends, partying, have a good time, go do stuff, you know, keep active, keep the body moving, keep identifying with the body, uh, identifying with the nerve endings that feel good, that part, you know, uh, walk through a room of feathers. Wouldn't that be fun? Walk, don't want to walk through a room of barbed wire or concertina wire, that would be difficult. Did I answer your question? Well, if we're wanting to things to be different than they are, maybe namely not feeling so bad. And we're working with the practice of meditation. Could it make us, could it make the suffering worse? It could. That's why it's necessary to have a teacher. Uh, the, the, the ideal structure is the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The teacher is the teaching and the community. That's a powerful structure where people can help each other, support each other in understanding what the Buddha taught 2,500 years ago. Everything is dependently risen. Everything is suffering. Uh, everything is uh, that suffering is caused by wanting something else, or desire, or grasping, or craving, or lust, and uh, and it is possible for that to come to an end. But the the way in which it comes to an end is uh, the 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 illusion of someone who is suffering uh, is seen through through the the last one, which is uh, Shila Samadhi and Prajna, or discipline, meditation, and wisdom. Yeah. We were coming to the practice of meditation to want because we want things to be different than they are. How does it help? How does meditation help? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got me there. Why do it? Huh? Why do it? 
Well, don't do it. But if, you, if you're suffering, you're having difficulty, this is a way, I don't know if it's the only way, probably not, but it is a way of working with being a living being and uh, training your mind to see very clearly so that you're not confusing yourself so that when death comes without warning, you're not too concerned with that. And when people are suffering around you, you don't add to their suffering. You don't meddle with them and try to manipulate them and where they're at. Some people, when you meet them where they're at, they're ready to hear, they're ready for your help. Other people, you meet them where they're at. You need to leave them alone. So, so you're able to relate to things uh, in a, in a uh, I don't know of any other word other than a sane, respectful way. You need to really respect other people's confusion. That's difficult because sometimes people's confusion is really uh, not only confusing, but stinks. Smells are so bad. But you have no you have no permission to step into someone else's karma and start to uh, grab a hold of controls and control them. Respect people's karma. And how do you do that? Respect them. Find out. Find out. If you don't respect this, if you have it, if you still have warfare going on and you're deep in your gut where you're opposing yourself, you're blaming yourself, you're shaming yourself, you're really puffed up and really proud of yourself, then you're probably going to spread that confusion in other places through control, manipulation, or some kind of propaganda. What? Questions? What is discipline? Pardon me? What is discipline? Simply put, hold still. Find anything that is uh, moving that you can hold still without uh, going to war with it, which is the body, basically. Sit down, hold still, unless your body is somehow compromised, and then respect that. Sit down, hold still, and watch what continues to move, because what continues to move is the very nature of confusion, trying to get something else, trying to stop something, trying to cover something up, passion, aggression, and ignorance. Those three are going to, and then observe those rather than fighting with them. So the discipline is to, is to slow everything down so that you're less speedy, less grasping, less rejecting, less uh, ignoring, and just watch what occurs. And eventually, you will it, that which you think you are will start to show up and you'll see that you're a fraud that the being is a the, the self-centeredness is unreal. And, and it's not something you can do. You can't just uncover that. You have to actually watch. You have to look into the darkness. It's the only way you can find light. You can't find light by looking at light because it's just your imagination of light or your, your uh, perception or your ideation around what light is. But if you look in the darkness, then which is your own mind, just sit down, hold still and Make friends with yourself, as my teacher used to say. And how do you do that? You look at look at the enemy. Here, 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 wherever it's at. Could be anywhere. It's unlikely to be here. It's more likely to be here where the fear is or up here where the paranoia is. We want control. We want to be somebody. We want to be so, somebody so bad, not people here, but some people want to be somebody so bad that in order to have control to be somebody, they'll kill themselves. And the downside of that is <laughs> just kill yourself. But the upside of it is you can't kill who you are. So big surprise for people who take their lives. And then my body went away, but I'm still here. And I still have the same issues. Only now I have no reference point for it. Uh, I have no anchor. So now you know, wait for the next lifetime. If there is one, maybe there isn't. Maybe that's all just a big myth. Well, if we're in a situation where... Um, we're perhaps talking to somebody else, interacting with 
try to stop ourselves from doing something, try to control. In the context of that, it's discipline is not control. So I'm trying to stop myself from saying something mean or I'm trying to whatever. I'm listening. What, would, what is discipline? What is a disciplined approach? How to what? To um, when, I, when I say I, I want to control myself. I want to not... Uh, Okay, let me interrupt you here, and I'll, I'll start, and then you can ask another question after I say this. First, sit down and hold still. Control something you can control. You can sit still, maybe only for 10 minutes, but you can sit still. Sit down and hold very still. You don't even have to call it uh, meditation. You can call it Melba Toast. That might even help. Give it another name. Sit still, Melba Toast. And, and that way, you'll see the way in which you're out of control, the way in which uh, your mind is going this way and going that way. To watch the lack of control is is the beginning of having some say so. It's not control, but it's a because you're what you're doing is you're making friends with that aspect of the mind that looks separate, that looks like you can avoid it, that looks like you can have your way, or you can lose, or you can win, or all the polarities, all the eight worldly dharmas of success and failure, gain and loss, praise and blame. I don't know what the other ones are. But there's a bunch of them. And they all have polarities. You can't have pride without shame. There isn't just pride. It's always shame here that drives it. And if you have shame, it's always pride here that drives that. And if those things are holding forth, then we need to sit down and hold still so we can eventually make friends with ourselves and begin to see deeply. And each person will have their own. Some people don't have that kind of a, some people, it's more uh, uh, anger. Uh, angry and then then close down and nothing's happening. And anger and then close down, nothing's happening. Or it goes in a circle of passion, aggression, and ignorance. Real anger, anger, and then oh, I feel so bad. I'm so sorry. I said that to you. I shouldn't have said that. And then we go back into ignorance, getting ready to be angry again because we didn't really see what it was. We wanted to get rid of the anger. So what do we do? We apologize. Not that you shouldn't apologize if you've uh, been mean to somebody, of course. But to do it just to get out of the anger is a misunderstanding, and it just creates a more uh, more uh, a darker area of the circle. You're missing part of the circle, so therefore you think it's a straight line. Not just you, but anybody. So, it's, so in a situation where um, there's an impulse to anger, there's an impulse to control, there's an impulse to some other actions to to stop, just stop. Yes. And observe. Whether it's just like freezing in the middle of a conversation, perhaps, or just for even for a moment. What's the question? I understand what you're saying. Discipline is see- discipline is seeing that you're that you're out of control. That's the beginning of it. You have to see that you're out of control because the imputation that you're in control is uh, ignorance. You're not in control. I don't know what I'm going to say. Pretty risky. It's real risky. I have no idea what I'll say. About anything. I don't even know. I just invented the title of the talk before I came in here. That doesn't make me a scholar. It might make me a lunatic. I'm not concerned, sir. And working with children with difficult behaviors, you know, I first understand the impulse and the sensation that leads yeah. up to it, and then develop a new form in which that can manifest. I'm wondering, is, is if I'm supporting a child's awakening, is that something I should be doing then? No, I think what you're doing with children, and that's a, it's a important thing for you to do is just train your mind. Spend a lot of time sitting down and watching what the mind's doing day after day after day. 
and then use whatever technique, whatever approach. Uh, just like uh, I have students who I have a student, oh, thinking of Senju, who's a therapist. I don't go in and tell her how to do therapy. You know, she's doing what she needs to do. Enjoyed as a therapist, she they they might ask me some questions, but I, I I don't get in the in the way, and I wouldn't get in the way of the way in which you're working with children. The only thing I would encourage you to do, or her, or or send you or anybody, is train your mind. Make sure that whatever you are doing, whatever you, uh, whether you're a nurse or whatever functioning uh, that you're doing, make sure that there's a lot of uh, sitting on a sharpen that blade of awareness. So when you step into a situation that's full of all kinds of possibilities and variables and new things you've never seen before that there's as much uh, receiving going on as possible. Cut back on the production. Anybody's producing anything, back off. You don't have to stop particularly, but you can back off production and just put everything on receive for a while. So, so you're really clear about what's happening in causes and conditions of dependent origination and all of the, the, the interaction between things that when you go into that, like with a child, because you've spent some time watching to the chaos in your own mind without solving it, without stopping it, without ignoring it, without blaming anyone for it, including yourself or your parents or society or anything, even though there might be some blame. I mean, if you looked at the causes and conditions, well, this is caused because of that. So what? It goes on forever. You, you, if you keep doing that, if you trace it back to its original uh, time, you'll be in uh, 2 million BC and you'll be in somewhere in the Amazon you know, because everything is dependent. There isn't, there is no starting point for anything, no ending point for anything. Yes. And I guess what showed up was why wouldn't that work with doing it with myself, understanding like when I'm angry, understanding it's coming out of protecting myself, why not create a form in which anger can arise so I no longer am creating this suffering? And I'm just not sure why I shouldn't do that. Go ahead. But that's not in alignment with your teachings. Feel like How do you know? Because you say that it's not about getting anywhere. Just be with that. I just realigned it. That's not who I'm talking to. It changes. I don't have any thing that I, I mean, the only thing I say is train your mind. But anybody I talk to, I say it, I talk about it differently depending on who I'm talking to. So an example is somebody came to me yesterday, Friday, Thursday, whatever. You bit on that, didn't you? <laughs> Go ahead. I'm listening. They question my authority. And I, and the anger, it was just at first I was irritated. Now the anger, I, I can't see it anymore because now I'm responding out of anger. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, you know, at that point, what can I do to stay with the anger? I think the most important thing for you to do, and I mean this sincerely, uh, is train your mind, spend more time on the cushion. Uh, but I, uh, post meditation is much harder. You can see the confusion. You can see that I did that. And I said this and I shouldn't have done that. And I've, you know, all this kind of uh, analysis or feeling a little bit irritated by you, you, you lost control of yourself or however you want to say it. The way to do that is take it back to the cushion. Sit on the cushion and watch. Watch. Uh, you need to be at the uh, needed to be at the headwaters. You can't do it at the mouth of the Amazon. That's too big, and that's where you're at. When you're in there, you're you're at all the causes and conditions that that are uh, this person Tayo are, are there and are manifesting, interacting with the rest of the world. And you need to back up, back up, sit down on the cushion, see see where this starts at. Watch how it starts. Watch how, I mean, the little tiny streams, tributary streams flow in the darkness and eventually end up in being the mouth of the Amazon, to use a very literal kind of metaphor image. And so you need to go and look at the, the foundation situation of your anger 
And I hope your passion, aggression, ignorance, all of that, and watch what's how it starts. Watch how it starts. And in that way, uh, that way, when it starts to, to develop uh, uh, out in, uh, you know, down the hall, uh, just around the corner in the other room, talking to three people or one person or a child or an adult or one, whomever, then before it even comes up, you start to see, you start to see it. Probably, uh, to be very literal about it, probably you're just not seeing it early enough. If you see it early enough, you actually can, uh, it's a little bit of control, not a lot. It's a little bit of control there. It won't feel like control, it'll feel more like failure. If it feels like failure, you probably have a little say-so about it called discipline. Should we close or are there further questions? I'm sorry, I had a quick follow-up. When you said a little bit of control, when I find myself in a situation where I have a little bit of control, how should I exercise it? Don't do it. Just look at the little bit of control, but don't, don't, don't hook it up to the wagon. Yeah, leave the horse out in the pasture. Don't don't hook it up. But use it as a as a dharma gate. Use it as a as an awareness practice rather than try to use it as an accomplishment practice. You don't need to get somewhere. You don't need to be someone else. You don't need to be a success. You need to see what is true. And then whatever dependent origination, then then you actually begin to live your life as it was intended. Don't miss your life by trying to be somebody special, somebody better, somebody in control, somebody who's a success. There's only a certain number of people listening to this talk. If you're trying to be a success, it'll be difficult. Not wrong. Do whatever you want. But if you ask me, uh, train your mind. Sit down, hold still, and take it on the chin. <laughs> yes? So the goal of training our mind isn't to necessarily be able to change the way we react to situations, but to just know how we react to it. So the, the, the goal initially is to stop suffering and maybe help other people stop suffering. So initially that goal is there. But then when you actually start to train, then, uh, then you begin to see, you begin to go back to the origin of that rather than try to change the surface. Quite often meditation is taught uh, uh, in such a way that uh, mindfulness practice to calm down and be peaceful and all that. And I'm not saying that if somebody doesn't have a lot of uh, intense uh, karma to deal with, that they couldn't do that and live the rest of their life as a, you know, as a, a baker or, you know, Indian chief or something like that and be fine. Uh, but if you're listening to me, you're probably that situation. You're ready to go deeper than just that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with John, uh, John Kabat-Zinn or any of the other people who are teaching a basic mindfulness practice based on getting better and improving. It's fine. Some people just need to do that. They don't want to hear this message. But this message, I'm saying, go to the root of it. Because the root of it is, is not about covering it up or smoothing it out or making everything or calming down even. It might be about looking at a, a wild, crazy situation that showed up as this lifetime for you or for me or for anyone else. And seeing that there's no solid being. There's no, you are not a solid being. And to realize that, the warfare is over. Uh, suffering is, uh, uh, is just something that you see come and go. It, it doesn't belong to anyone anymore. More. So, if, so the first one is to help our suffering and try to help others. Helping others, how can we do that without that sense of control over them? <clears throat> yeah, stop, stop meddling with them. And uh, how do you learn that? Stop meddling with yourself. So sit down and whatever's happening, don't accept it. I mean that. Don't accept it. Whatever's happening, don't accept it. Don't object to it. I mean that. Don't object to anything. 
and don't ignore it, look away, or distract yourself into some, something else. Just It's just like watching fish in a pond. You can have all the opinions you want on those fish, and they're going to do just what they damn well please. Except for tuna fish, they tend to mind. So just watch. It's like watching clouds in the sky. Really beautiful, interesting, um, um, but they're none of your business. Same thing with your thoughts. Thoughts are none of your business. Just receive whatever thoughts are rising. Just watch it. Uh, if you do anything with it, it'll hang around. It'll haunt you. Don't do anything. Machine. We're just supposed to watch and not meddle. Then why do we even get together like this? I don't know. Think we should stop doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Who called this meeting? <laughs> I think it's uh, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. The Buddha is the example or the, the someone who is sane, no longer at war with anything but him or herself or themselves or anyone else. This doesn't mean that you can uh, take them out, that you can come up and beat them up. Uh, you'll probably get your butt kicked, but no longer at war. And the Dharma is the truth. Everything is dependently arisen. There's not a solid being anywhere, even though it intensely feels like it. There's not a solid, there, there are no separate beings. Who, we are, who you are can't die. But who you think you are is going to be terrified when that day comes for yourself or from your for your family or your children or your mate. It would be terrifying because you actually think there's a solid being there instead of saying it's just part of this. I'm not saying you wouldn't miss them, of course, but it could be terrible. But we'll think, well, they were too young. They were this, they were that or whatever. We always come up with this. So there's the Buddha, the Dharma. Everything is dependently risen. And then there's a Sangha, the community of people that get together, that have uh, that resonate with this kind of a teaching and somebody who's uh, who's been doing this a while, like this person. Yes. We're confused. Isn't everything, our actions and our words, meddling in some way? Yeah. It's coming out of confusion? Yes. Exactly. Is that it? So it's about observing that. If you just observe it and you don't correct anything, you don't change, you don't cover up, you don't do anything with it, you don't trace it down to its source, like a, a you know a detective or something. You don't need you know you don't need to do that. You can just look at the look. If you just look at the surface of it, that's the depth you need. Whatever's showing up, that's the depth. It's not something else. So around the corner, I must be missing something because everything is just full of corners. Once you go around one corner, the world is nothing but corners. It's from then on, and you'll you'll become a um, um, a librarian. And the librarians here, yeah. Shoka is a librarian. He just changed. And then the sangha is a community of people who get together to support each other. So I don't know why we get together. Why do we? Hmm? It is, but seeing that's, it is impossible, but we need to see it just like it's impossible to learn the Dharma, but we need to study. It's impossible to become enlightened, but we need to, we need to work on it. It's impossible. There's, I sometimes say to people, and they, they can do whatever they want with it, but nothing has happened. I've not changed. I'm still the same crazy person I was when I was born. Same guy. Any further questions? Thank you so much.